Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. All right, well... This week's portion, there's so much we could talk about. The, the title is Pinchas, but we see it actually continued off of last week's portion. And there was the Moabitist seduction, also the Midianite women, and Phineas had to step up and put an end to it. And sad thing is, there was so much anger that came with the Lord that 24,000 people died. A lot of death. But the good thing that came from this was Phineas, after doing this, God gave him a covenant of shalom or a covenant of peace. He gave him peace to be able to deal with that situation and go forward and continue in his righteous deeds. You know, there's a lot of things we could look at in this week's portion. That was one of them. Another one was the numbering of the second generation of the Israelites. We see they did one at the beginning of Sefer Bamidbar, the book of Numbers. We had a census. And then we see now here we are, many, many chapters later, here they're having a second census. And what's amazing about this is that both times, it's nearly 600,000 people. Now, keep in mind, only Joshua and Caleb were named to have survived out of those 600,000 men. So, miraculously, they have the same number of men stepping up. And you can see how the Lord stepped in in this situation. The people that lacked faith didn't make it to the promised land. They even spoke the opposite of blessing over their children and said, our children will die if we go into this land. No faith. But what did the Lord say? And by the way, does the Lord's word always hold true? It does. He said to them that not only will you not make it to the promised land, but your children that you spoke bad of, they will go into the promised land and they will succeed. And we can see throughout history as we study that happened. We can also look at the inheritance of the daughters of the Lofahad. We'll talk about them a little more later, but Zlovahad had passed away and had no sons. So the daughters had to speak up for themselves. They had a choice. They could have complained about it. They could have taken it a different way, but they chose to be honoring and use the system that God put in place through the leadership. Another thing that happened throughout this week, as, as far as the reading goes, was the commissioning of Yehoshua or Joshua. Moses had time, his, not, his time was nearing, and God told him, this is it. You, you've done what you're supposed to do, and some of it you didn't do that you were supposed to do. And because of that, it's, it's time for you to see the next generation pass. And we see that Moses cries out to the Lord, and, and the Lord answers him. And we'll talk about that more. That's going to be a lot of our topic today. But also, the text ends for this week's portion with the Moedim, or the appointed days, and it's similar to Leviticus 23 because you see these are the days and this is when they happen. For example, Passover is the first month on the 14th day. Well, what's different about this section as we read from Numbers 28 versus Leviticus 23 
it's talking about the different offerings that are brought on these appointed days. And we also get a glimpse of the new moons and how to honor and celebrate the Lord and keep track of the times. As we see in Bereshit, he says that these are for signs and for the seasons, right? Well, what I want to talk to you today, I titled Eight Things That We Can Learn From Moshe. Eight Things That We Can Learn From Moses. Here he is at the end of the trail, and he went through so many challenges. And before we get into those challenges, I just want to ask, and I, I'm not going to call on you, so feel free to raise your hand. I want to take a quick poll. How many of you are going through a challenge, whether it's something you caused yourself or maybe it's something you is out of your control? Right now, you're going through a challenge. I can tell you I am going through a challenge myself too. Thank you. Well, another question I want to ask is how many of us are doing well, but we are starting to feel like it's hard to finish strong. Like, is there ever going to be an end to this? How many of us are ready for some of these things to end that are going on right now? Okay. Oh, how about some of you? Is, can you put your hands up for both? Because I can honestly say I've got challenges and there's things that I'm ready to be done with. Maybe they're not challenging me, but they're irritating to me. Or I'm just like, I can't wait for the Lord to come and there to be an end to some of these things. Well, I can tell you, we're not alone in these things. And some of the things that we can look at in our lives that I see, at least noted to me, that caught my attention as I was putting this together, is one of the challenges we have is temptation. You know, temptation could be something small like, you know, I just want to eat a little extra chocolate than I should. You know, that can seem somewhat innocent, but then it leads to more and more. Or sometimes it's staying up too late. It's like, you know, you got to get up early, but you, you just want to have that extra conversation with your loved ones. Or maybe you want to watch that next show that you were really into, or hopefully we wanted to spend more time in the Word of God, and we just can't wait to get to the next page in the Bible. Whatever it may be, sometimes we want to continue to stay up late. But on a more serious note, sometimes people want to repay, and, and we can be guilty of this too. We want to repay evil for evil. Eye for an eye, a tooth for a We want to get back at what happened to us and not wait upon the Lord. These are real challenges. That's just one. Temptation is a very difficult challenge that we go through. Well, another one that we can go through is sometimes it can be difficult to move forward. You know, we can feel stuck in our situations, unable to see a way out. Or sometimes we can just feel overwhelmed by the task that's at hand. And that's kind of what I was talking about before. Is there ever going to be an end to this? Are we just going to keep going? I'm holding on, but I'm overwhelmed. Or maybe I'm not holding on and I need some help. Difficulty moving forward. Well, another challenge that we can go through, and this is one I think that gets a lot of us, situations that are out of our control. Sometimes these situations are way out of our control and they seem to be such a mess. And just to name a few, economy continues to rise. Food shortages or rumors of food shortages or maybe they're even in your own cupboards. You're like, where's my organic walnuts? I can't find them in the store anymore. People celebrating wicked things. That's a tough one. Some of these things are out of our control. We see people celebrating wickedness. We see people removing God from our schools. We see fellow believers even losing hope. Sadly, we even see some congregations and believers in Yeshua conforming to the ways of this world. Well, as I mentioned earlier, there's, there's challenges, but there's also some things where we are doing well. But I think another challenge can be finishing strong. 
You know, this one is in our control, though, I believe, at least for the most part. Maybe we've done well, but we're living in the past. Maybe we're living off the good that we did in the past and not really living in the future or in the current moment. You know, we can become complacent. We can become tired and want to be done already. And this can be with short-term tasks, but it also can be with kingdom matters. Well, as I mentioned before, the topic of what I want to talk about today, and I just wanted to kind of warm us up to see, yeah, we still have some real challenges, right? And I, I've heard people say just recently, to, my, to me personally, that the Bible's archaic, that the Bible's outdated and it doesn't apply to today. I have to tell you that is so not true. That is a total lie. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you today why I believe that's a lie. And we're going to learn eight things that we can learn from Moses. And our opening scripture is going to be, and this will be the, the main of our scripture, but I will be bouncing around. But we're going to start in Numbers 27. So if you are taking notes, I apologize. I will bounce around a lot. And uh, we're going to go through this somewhat quickly. But Numbers 27, we can see, this is Moses in verse 12. It says, Now Adonai said to Moshe, Go up into this Mount Abarim and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. So he gets to go see what the land looked like. He doesn't get to go in, right? And when you have seen it, you shall be gathered to your people. And Aharon, your brother, where he, you will be gathered with him as well. So you shall be gathered to your people as Aharon, your brother, was gathered. So imagine how Moshe felt. You know, 40 years in the wilderness. And, and keep in mind, he's not a young pup, is he? This guy is 120 years old at this point. So, so much he saw, and as a leader, he saw people that were hungry, people who were thirsty, people who were sick, people who even died. He heard a lot of complaining, and a lot of it was directed right to him, wasn't it? He experienced war. He experienced it from the end, from Amalek, where they're attacking their weak, he experienced it up front with Og and some of the others where they had victory. But again, here he is. He's 120 years old. You know, today my dad turned 75 years old. To me, that's a pretty big accomplishment. But compared to 120, you could take my measly 48 years and you're still only at 118. That's two years shy of where Moses is at at this point. That's a long life. He'd already lived a life with his family, 80 years, and he's been given this mission for the last 40 years. Not to mention what a tremendous responsibility he had. You know, losing his patience and not honoring God for that one moment with the rock that we see at Meribah. And not making it to the promised land. You know, seeing his subordinate leaders rebel against him. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in leadership, seeing your subordinate leaders go against you, that would be one of the most painful things I think somebody could go through. Well, here we're going to get into the eight things that we learn from Moses. But I wanted to give us that setting. Here he is. The Lord's given him his commission right here. The next mission that he's at, they've finished numbering the people. Here he is. He's going to be going up to the mountain soon. And, and he'll be done. He'll get to see the end. But what can we reflect and learn from this character in the Bible? Well, the first thing that we can learn is that Moses wasn't perfect. 
Moshe was not perfect. He came from a broken home caused by the very enemy. By the way, he lived in the home with the enemy that caused this breaking. Can you even imagine how twisted that would be? Some of us come from broken homes. That's pretty twisted. But it doesn't end there. He even killed a man. Not just killed, but murdered a man in his own country. We're going to take a look at that in Exodus chapter 2. In Exodus 2, starting in verse 11, it said, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. Notice this is his brethren he's seeing, his own people. I don't know about you, but when I see someone messing with my own siblings, it's hard not to get involved. In verse 12, it says, So he looked this way, and he looked that way. Why do you think he stopped to look? I think we have an idea. We'll continue on. So he looked this way, and he looked that way. And when he saw no one, that's when he acted. There was an opportunity. How many times when we don't see somebody, we say, well, maybe there's an opportunity here. Do you think God might see these things? Well, so when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian, and then he hid him in the sand. Just when you think nobody's looking, look at verse 13. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Get this. In verse 14, then the one said, who made you the prince and judge over us? If this guy only knew the prophetic thing that would happen 40 years from now, right? Who made you prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? My word travels fast. This is the second day. Word travels fast. And he saw no one. Just because you don't see someone, there are people watching us. And we are to be emissaries of Messiah Yeshua. We're to be lifting him high in everything. So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. Some of the children of Israel didn't view Moshe as a protector and savior. That's something that we can learn from this. Some of the people, they just didn't see him as who he ended up becoming. And I don't know if he even saw himself as that. It seems like he tried to do it in his own way, doesn't it? He tried to protect these people. He tried to correct these people and judge them. But I think that's something we can all learn. If we can try and do things and be righteous in our own eyes, but those who wait upon the Lord, it's a much better outcome, isn't it? Yeah, but he ended up being viewed more as a reckless killer or murderer. You know, Moses feared that he, what he did in secret was known in public, and obviously it was. Can you imagine if what we've done in secret was exposed right now in public? How terrifying would that be? Well, let's take a look some more in Exodus chapter 2, verse 15. It says, when Moses, or when Pharaoh heard this matter, he sought to kill Moses. This is the house that Moses was living under. Just in that short amount of time, how quickly things can change, right? He broke the law. But Moshe fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. Midian along with Moab, those were the women that were enticing the men of Israel, as we read about last week as well as in this week, and causing them to commit sexual immorality. 
These were the same women that ended up causing them not only to do that, but to worship the false god Baal Peor, right? This is what ended up happening. But now he's there. But we see through other scripture that his wife was a Cushite, right? Or an Ethiopian. So it's just an interesting piece of information there. And he sat down by a well. So what can we learn from this? Well, God can use whoever he wants. You know, God doesn't care that you come from a broken broken family, you had a broken childhood. If God wants to use you, he can use you. And I'll tell you, even if you have a criminal record, God doesn't exclude from that either. God uses people who are broken. He uses people who don't fit the norm of society, and he can take them and use them however he wants. And if you're not convinced, let's look to our Lord Messiah Yeshua and see how he did this. Let's look at Luke chapter 8, verse 27. And when he, Yeshua, God incarnate in the flesh, stepped out on the land, there he met him. Let me read that again. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man of the city who had demons for a long time. Now check out this guy. This guy is not your average character. What does it say? He wore no clothes. I don't know about you, but you start looking at the Good Samaritan situation. You see someone on the side of the road with no clothes. Are you really anxious to step over and help this person? You may, maybe not. But it doesn't stop there. It says he, he did not live in a house, so this man is naked and homeless. But where did he live? In the tombs. This man lived in the graveyard. I don't know about you, but this is sounding like a really scary situation. You're going to see this guy. He lives in the graveyard. He's naked and has no house. But, you know, it's important sometimes that we, when we're studying the Word, that we look at the different texts. And the beautiful thing about the Besorah or the Gospels is we have different accounts from different people. We just read an account in Luke, but we can also look in the Gospel of Mark. In chapter 5 of Mark, starting in verse 2, it says, And when he, Yeshua, had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Yeah, we just talked about this guy who had his dwelling among the tombs. But get this, there's more we can learn. And no one could bind him. People were actually trying to detain this gentleman. He was dangerous. He would be considered a criminal. Not even with chains. Why? Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. So now we have a better picture of who this guy is that Yeshua is going to. By the way, Yeshua is on a mission. Does he do anything on accident? No. So he's going to the man that lives in the graveyard, has no clothes, crying out, cutting himself. And what does he do? He goes to him. I think that's miraculous. So one thing that we can learn, as we talked about, is what we can learn from Moses is God used Moses even though he wasn't perfect. Moses wasn't perfect. But what we can learn, number two, is God used Moses regardless of his background. And I will even throw in there, God used Moses and this man that we just read about in the gospel this man formerly named or known as Legion, he used him regardless of his background. And I will even throw out there, God can use us regardless of our background 
for his glory. Amen? You know, God didn't wait until they were perfect. Say, well, now I'll, I'll, I'll go talk to them. It wasn't like that. God went to them in their troubles. And he took them in their imperfections. And I want to go back to Luke chapter 8. But we're going to fast forward through several scripture just for time's sake. And at this point, this is where Legion, the man formerly known as Legion, the, he had over 2,000 spirits, it sounds like. And all these demons were taken and put into the pigs. And the pigs were ran into the water. But who did this? God. Yeshua, God in the flesh, commanded the spirits out and did this. Well, let's see what happens after all these spirits have been taken out. And by the way, God can do the same for us. So in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 38, it says, Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged Yeshua. He begged him that he might be with him. He wanted to go with him. He doesn't want to stay where he was. Obviously, he doesn't want to stay in the graveyard. You know, he's clothed now, I'm sure. He's been covered. But Yeshua sent him away saying, return to your own house. So what do we learn from this? This man actually had a home. By the way, these homeless people we see sometimes, they have homes too. We should be praying for them, amen? He's, so he sent him back to his house. Why? so that he could tell what great things God had done for him. That's why. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Yeshua had done for him. You know, and that's something we should be doing. Many of us have been delivered from many horrible things in our lives, and we, we need to thank Yeshua. We need to glorify him and go to the people that God has surrounded us with. Amen? And that's a question I ask us all this morning. Are we taking time to proclaim the great things that Yeshua has done for us? And also, don't wait until we are perfect. Don't wait until you're perfect to start being useful. Has God called us all to be di to different tasks? Yes, he has. How have we responded to these, these different callings? Are we responding to them? And when we start moving in this direction that God gives us, he gives us more guidance along the way. You know, I used to have a sailboat, and I'll tell you, sometimes I would try and move it, it doesn't turn unless you are in motion, right? Sometimes we just got to get moving. If the Lord tells us to do something, do we have to have all the instructions? No. Just get going. He'll start telling us where to go. Well, let's also look at how Rav Shaul dealt with his challenges. You know, some people think Rav Shaul lived this wonderful life and he didn't have any challenges. Well, let's take a look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 6 through 10. It says, For I... For though I might desire to boast, should we ever boast, guys? Not in ourselves, right? There's only one that's worthy of boasting in, and that's Yeshua the Messiah. He says, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees of me. You know, let's not let people think too highly. If people give us glory, let's point it in the direction it needs to go. Someone compliments us, let's say praise the Lord. Verse 7, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. You know, I, I mentioned, do you have challenges that you're going through today? Well, some of us do. Well, it's obvious Rav Shul could relate with this, right? It says right here he had a thorn in the flesh. 
I've heard scholars say that had something to do with his blindness. I've heard other scholars say, well, it's because he was stoned. I've heard other scholars say, well, it's because he was whipped. And I've heard other scholars say multitudes of different things. I don't know what this was, but it's clear he had something he did not enjoy. It was a thorn in his flesh, whatever that may have been. It was a messenger of Satan to buffet him. Unless I be exalted above measure. This is Rav Shul talking. But in verse 8, it says, Concerning this thing, I've pleaded with the Lord three times that it might be departed from me. Have you prayed and asked for things to be taken away from you and they still exist? Well, Rav Shul can relate with what you're going through. I'm sure that Moshe could too. He probably prayed for some deliverance from all these people. He's finally going to get it after 120 years. Well, in verse 9, it says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. This is God talking to him. God's strength is made perfect in the weakness that we're going through. It's not us that's doing the work, is it? It's all him. We're just vessels. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. If you're going through something today, boast about it and say, Thank you, Lord that the power of Messiah may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches. I don't know about you. That doesn't sound pleasant. In needs, when we're maybe needing something we don't have. And maybe it's a little higher level than an organic walnut you can't find anymore at Costco. Maybe it's in persecutions or in distresses. Or for Messiah's sake. For Messiah's sake, we go through all this, don't we? It's for him. We want to bring glory and honor to our king. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, we just looked at number two, which is God used Moses regardless of his background. Now I want to look at number three. Moses was a leader. That's something we can learn about Moses. He was a leader. And believe it or not, all of us are leaders, at least even of our own lives, right? At minimum, we're a leader of our own lives. Maybe we're leaders in our homes. Maybe we're leaders in a congregation. Maybe we're leaders in our workplaces. But Moses was a leader. And at first, we see that he was not very efficient. Exodus chapter 18, verse 14 says, So when Moses' father-in-law saw that he did what that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? I don't know about you, but that's almost like insulting. It's like, you just came up to me and I'm showing you what I'm doing here and, and you're my father-in-law. This is typical father-in-law giving me a hard time, right? Moses didn't take that attitude, did he? No, he says, what is this thing you are doing for the people? And why do you sit alone and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? In verse 15, and Moses said to his father-in-law, I was going to say something silly, but the truth is he did not. He says, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me. And I judge between one another. And I make known the statues of God and his laws. Is God using you? Well, sometimes it's more than us, isn't it? Sometimes we need to share that wealth. And that's the thing that we can learn is that Moses learned from others. Yitro or Jethro or Reuel or whichever alias that he was going under at that time, his father-in-law took time to educate him. And, and he, what ended up happening, he appointed leaders. If we continue on in Exodus 18, verse 17, we see that so Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. If you didn't get it the first time and you weren't offended, I mean, if you're living in the world, this comment right here is usually going to get people, is it not? This thing, you're not? this thing that you're doing is not good. 
But that's not what Moses did. He sat and listened, and he continued on in verse 18, both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. And how many of us are wearing ourselves out? This might be part of the problem right here. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Guys, we can't run our houses by ourselves. It's not one person doing everything, is it? No, the same thing with a congregation like this. It doesn't just run itself. It takes everybody working together. Same thing with our country, all these things. It takes a, a multitude of people in unity and synergy. So verse 19, he says, now listen to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. Verse 20 this is so important. And you shall teach them. If you've been given something from God, don't hold on to it. The statues and the laws. What are they going to teach? He's going to teach them the statues and the laws and show them. So not only is he going to teach them, he's going to show them the way in which they must walk and in the work they must do. Verse 21. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men. Yeah, you can't just go say you, 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 and you. No, it doesn't work like that. Look, there are people out there, and the Lord will bring them too. If, the, if Adonai Tzivuo can bring the animals to the ark with Noah, he can definitely bring the people that need to be in the leadership too. So moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, Rulers of 50s and rulers of 10s. So we have different levels of leadership. Are they all important? Yes. Some people think the rulers of thousands is the hardest job. I challenge you the rulers of 10s. You're, you're the boots on the ground with these people. Verse 22, and let them judge the people at all times. So we see here, teach them, show them, and also give them some authority, right? Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. And if this thing, and that's another thing too, that's very scriptural. We need to bear the burden of one another, right? You see someone struggling, don't just stand there, especially if you have the skills. That's your opportunity, your appointed time that the Lord's speaking to you. Go help. Bear the burden with you. In verse 23, if you do this thing and, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure. And all the people will also go to their place in what? In peace. I don't know about you, but I want more peace in my home. I want more peace in our congregation. I want more peace in our country, in our, our cities, in our states, in the world. So verse 24, so Moses heeded the voice. Notice he didn't talk back. He said, well, that's a great idea, Dad. You're, you have no idea what I'm going through. Clearly, you didn't just go through what I did coming out of Egypt and have to deal with these people. That sounds great on the textbook, but put it into reality. That's not what Moses did, did he? No, Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law, and he did all. How much? All that he had said. Another thing we can learn from Moses being a leader is that he was very humble. He, in fact, he was the most humble. We see in Numbers 12, verse 3, now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. And, you know, some people will joke, well, did Moses write this himself? 
I see it in a parenthetical phrase. I don't know how it looks up there. But, you know, it, it, it's possible that it was added to give us the reference of who he is. Nonetheless, it's scriptural, and it gives us the idea of what kind of character we're dealing with. You want to deal with leading millions of people? This is it right here. It's a servant. And he always relied on God. He taught God's ways. Well, we talked about number three, Moses was a leader. Well, number four, eight things that we can learn about Moses or from Moses is Moses didn't make it to the promised land. This is something that we can learn. Moshe did not make it to the promised land. In Numbers 27, which is our main text for the day, starting at verse 14, for in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command. Moses rebelled against Adonai to hollow me at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. You know, kingdom work is bigger than in our lifetime. And I think something we can see, and I think what's powerful about this is we already know Moses wasn't perfect. But we can see that God still used him anyways. But even then, as he's in this walk with the Lord, he still wasn't perfect. I think sometimes people put this high expectation on it. Well, you, why are you still messing up? Why are we still messing up? I think we, Yeshua made it clear, you know, look at ourselves, right? Why are we worried about the speck in someone's eye when we have a big pole sticking out of our own? Well, another thing that we can see that this is but a breath. In God's thing, God's timeline, this is a big mission that's happening here. And Moshe's 120 years or this 40-year mark is so small in comparison to the grand scheme of the, the Creator's plan. And we can see our life is but a breath. And if we take a minute and look at Psalm 78, if you have time this week, I encourage you to read this whole psalm. It gives us a lot of history of what happened while they were in the wilderness. But for time's sake, I'll just share two verses. Verse 38 of Psalm 78 says, But he, this is God, being full of compassion, forgave there, that is Israel, for God being full of compassion, forgave Israel iniquity and did not destroy them. And we see that with this week's portion. There's 600,000 men ready on the other side of the Jordan of Jericho, ready to go in. Just as we saw at the beginning of this book, Bamidbar, of numbers, there was 600,000 men. God didn't destroy them, did he? Yes, many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. Did he have wrath? Yes, we saw it this week. 24,000 died, right? 24,000 died of, because of God's wrath. But verse 39, for he remembered that they were but flesh. And I think that's the thing. We're just flesh. But get this next part, a breath that passes away and does not come again. Our lifetime is so small compared to God's grand scheme of time. So let's be sure that we are taking time to teach and educate the upcoming generations. That's what I see with this. If we only have a small portion of this, it's much bigger than we are, is it not? And sometimes it's much bigger than our own lifetime. So we too often... And I will tell you, you probably heard this too. Too often I'll hear older generations complaining about the younger. Oh, these Generation X. Oh, these, what's the new one? The Millennials. Is there a new one after that or is that it? We got the Millennials. We got Generation X. Gen Z. So it just never ends. I don't know where you go after that. Do you do AA? I don't know. 
the point here is too often we hear people complaining about the younger. Is that going to fix the issue? We saw the younger people complaining about the older, like we saw the children of Israel complaining about the leadership. Did that work out well for them? Well, why, why would it work out well this other way? Whether we are old enough to be a parent, a grandparent, or a great-grandparent, it's our responsibility to pass on what is good, how? By our examples. But we also saw earlier in the leadership by teaching, right? And showing. Well, I want to take a minute and look at Titus 2. I think Titus 2 gives us a really good glimpse of what this looks like. Since we know that Moses didn't make it to the promised land, we know that we're probably not going to accomplish all the kingdom work in our lifetime. We need to be doing these things. And in Titus 2, the first eight chapters gives us a glimpse of a good way of life. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith and in love and in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, but what? Teachers of good things. You know, there's a lot of things that we can teach people by our examples or bad things, but we, we want to teach people good things. Verse 4 says that they admonish the young women or train the young women to love their husbands. Is that an easy task? Ask my wife. It's not. It's not an easy task to have to love your husband. It takes, it takes effort. Well, what about this? It doesn't stop there. It says, and to love their children. Is that an easy task? I will answer that one. No, it's not always easy to love the children, but we, that, we are commanded to do that, right? But also to be discreet, to be chaste, to be homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, and the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men. What does it mean? Urge the young men to be sober-minded in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of what? Good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, and that one who is opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say about you. And I will tell you, you could say, well, this is Titus 2, woman. You could say, well, this is more like a Proverbs 31, woman. Well, I will challenge you today. We were even talking about it as we sang in the songs today. We're the bride of Messiah. So shouldn't we all be looking at these characteristics in that sense too, whether you're a man or a woman, we should be looking at these characteristics and how we can train, how we can show love, how we can set a good example, and that nobody can say anything bad about us. So that was Moses didn't make it into the promised land. Well, what do we see? Number five, what we can learn from Moses. Moshe went to God first. And I want to use the, an example from the text in this week's text of the daughters of Zelophehad. And I mentioned them earlier briefly. They didn't have any brothers to inherit the land. Their father had already passed away. You know, they were very wise and respectful women. And we see that in Numbers 27. We're going to look at the first eight verses. It says, Then came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, from the families of Manasseh, the son of Yosef, and these were the names of his daughters, Machla, Noach, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah. Verse 2, And they stood before Moshe, before Eleazar, the priest, or the Kohen, and before the leaders in all the congregation. These women were brave. They went up in front of everybody by the doorway of the tabernacle of meeting, saying what? 
what we just mentioned. Our father died in the wilderness, but he did not die in the company of those who gathered together against the Lord in company of Korah. Praise God they didn't. He, but he died in his own sin, and he had no sons. Here's the question, and here's how they dealt with it, and I think this is something that we can learn too, is the way that they went about this. Why should, this is verse 4, why should the name of our father be removed from among his family because he had no son? So they gave this problem or this issue, but did they stop there? No, they gave a solution. And I would encourage all of us, if we have an issue, have a solution to it. Don't just come to the leadership to complain. So what was the solution? They said, give us a portion among our father's brothers. How did Moses deal with this? Did he say, oh, you're a woman. I don't, I don't care what you have to say? No. No, Moses was the most humble man. He said, so Moses brought their case before Adonai. Isn't that what Yitro had commanded him? His father-in-law said, this is what you'll do. You deal with these harder cases. And here we see him putting this into action. He said, so he went before the Lord, and Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, the daughters of Zelophehad speak what is right. Did he lean on his own understanding? No. He went to the Lord. And then if you're in leadership, I would encourage all of us, let's go to the Lord and seek guidance. But he said that these women were right. And you shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among their fathers and brothers and cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. Verse 8 says, And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. So what can we learn from this? Well, we can learn a lot, but for time's sake, just a few things. Just because something isn't written, we should inquire. You know, the scriptures give us guidelines and instructions, but we still need to seek the leadership, and we should ask and have solutions that do not contradict what God's already said. And sometimes we don't have because we don't even take time to ask. Asking is a much better way than complaining. But we see that this character wasn't just in the daughters of Zelophehad. Moshe also did this. He inquired of the Lord before he was to pass. He had a difficult situation of his own to deal with. He knows he's not going to be there, so someone's going to have to step into his place, or they're going to have to deal with the situation. Well, in Numbers 27, verses 15 through 17, and this is continuing what we were reading on earlier in the text this week, it says, Then Moshe spoke to Adonai, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man before the congregation. So here it is. He's got his situation, and now Moshe's asking Here's my solution, Lord. Let's do this. Why? Who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of Adonai may not be like what? Sheep which have no shepherd. Yeshua made this very clear in Mark chapter 6, verses, and this is right where he's going to feed the 5,000. Check this out. In Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30, it says, Then the apostles gathered to Yeshua and told him all things. They'd just been out doing a lot of mission work, sharing about the gospel of the kingdom. Both what they had done and what they had taught. In verse 31 says, And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. Yeshua is telling his own people, his disciples, Go rest. Guys, we need to take time to rest. For there are many coming and going, and they did not even take time to eat. Guys, if you see a leader 
to make sure they're getting food and rest because sometimes leaders forget to do these things, don't they? And if you're a leader, make sure you're looking at your subordinates. Are they getting time to eat and rest? Well, Yeshua took time to do this. Of course he did. He's perfect. Well, in verse 32, we see something miraculous, though. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves, but the multitude saw them departing, and many of the people, they knew him, and they ran there on foot from all the cities. Can you imagine? This is their time to get a break, but it continues on. They arrived before them. So the people that they were trying to get a break from, here they are in their space now, and came together to him. Verse 34, and Yeshua, he came out and saw the great multitude and was moved with compassion. And again, we see the situation that Moshe had mentioned. It's the same situation because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So what did Yeshua do? By the way, Yeshua was tired. Yeshua was hungry, needed rest. He began to teach them. How important is it that we take time to teach? Yeshua knew his time on earth was short too. He made good use of his time, did he not? Well, a good leader, their worst nightmare would be this, seeing their flock uncared for. A good leader. Well, verse six, or number six of things that we can learn from Moses. God allowed Moses to get a glimpse of the promised land. You know, in Numbers 27, verse 12 and 13, it says, Now Adonai said to Moshe, Go up into this Mount Abarim and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. We read about this earlier at the very beginning. And when you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people as Aharon, your brother, was gathered. We too can see it through a glass dimly through the scriptures ourselves, right? There's a promised land ahead for us. And in Revelation 21, Yeshua gives us a glimpse of this. Uh, this is a beautiful scripture. And if you had any challenges today, take this to heart. Revelation 21, verse 1 through 4 says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and also there was no more sea. Then I, Yochanan, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as what? A bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Listen to this in verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear. If you have tears today, you can bank on this, the scripture right here, the tears will be wiped away from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain. If you're going through pain today, what a blessing that is to look forward to. For the former things will have passed away. You know, earlier we mentioned some of the discussions of situations that are out of our control. You know, economic continues to rise, food shortages, people celebrating wickedness, removing of God in our schools, seeing fellow believers losing hope, and congregations conforming to the ways of the world. Do you think we're going to see that in the new kingdom? No. What a blessing that will be. That's something we have to look forward to. And hopefully with this scripture, we can all see that there is a life without sickness, with a just ruler, and no one will have to teach their neighbor God's ways. We need to keep doing it now, though, don't we? Well, number seven, what we can learn from Moses. 
Moshe took time to ask God to appoint someone else before he had passed. Continuing on with that, in Numbers 27, starting in verse 18, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man whom is the Spirit. Remember, he's one of the two out of the 600,000 that made it to the promised land that didn't die. And lay your hands on him. Set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him. Makes me think of Elijah or Eliyahu. He did this with Elisha. He gave some of his to him. But that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. He shall stand before Eleazar the priest who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim. At, this, at his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, he and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So verse 22, we see, so Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Not only did he do it with his father-in-law, but he also did it with God. We don't want to just be people who listen to man, do we? We want to listen to the Lord above, and ab above anyone. Verse 23 says, And he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him, just as the Lord commanded him. Well, Yehoshua or, Yish, or Joshua means Adonai saves. And I think that's symbolic. Here he is taking them across the Jordan into the promised land. We also see that Yeshua means salvation. And he's taking us from this system of things into the new kingdom. Are we taking time to train up the next generations to understand these things? Are we sharing the responsibilities to ensure that they understand? Well, last one, Moses spoke prophetically. I think this is something that we can learn from Moses. He spoke prophetically. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 17, says, And Adonai said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet. Notice it's capitalized. It's, this is referring to Yeshua, by the way. A prophet like you, from among their brethren. This is one of the many messianic prophecies in the Torah. Their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth. Notice the his is capitalized. God's going to put the words into his son's mouth. And he, will, he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Well, this, this prophecy was confirmed with Kepha, Peter, in Acts 3, chapter 3, verse 19. It says, repent, which was the message. John the Baptist, that's what the message was. With Yeshua, that's the message. Repent for the kingdom of God. Well, what's, what is Kepha starting off with here? It's Shavuot. He says, repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Verse 20, and that he may send Messiah Yeshua, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God, and this is what we just read, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you, and it shall be that every soul who will not hear that that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Guys, there's no other way to the Father except through Messiah Yeshua. 
Are we listening to his voice? You know, this week's parashah, we see evidence that over 600,000 men over the age of 20 died and did not make it into the promised land. Only two had the spirit, Joshua and Caleb. Do we have the spirit? God could have utterly destroyed them all, but we also see the mercy of God. And we've seen that not just in the Father, but we see it in the Son. God has mercy on us. Are we extending that mercy to others? Are we looking to that person that doesn't look the part, that maybe doesn't fit in? Are we seeing the good? If God's not a respecter, shouldn't we be the same? Too often we see that people are not doing that. And then we say we're believers. We don't want to be that way, guys. But what do we get from this? None of us is without an excuse. We all have the scriptures. Yeshua made that clear. If you have the scriptures, there's without excuse. Even Moses himself said it. Are we listening to what Yeshua is saying? So in conclusion, I encourage all of us not to give up. Finish strong. Finish strong. We're in a race. Let's run this race and finish strong. Let's be people who are teaching the younger, and let's be younger who are learning and seeking the elder. Don't wait for the elder to come to you. Go and ask him for help. Give what little we have to offer to the Lord. If you're suffering today and you feel like you have nothing but one little thing, give that one little thing to him, whether it's your time, your talents, your treasures. Start giving to him small and watch it grow. Don't focus on the negative things. Trust in God and his ways. And God can use whomever he wants. Remember that, regardless of their past. I want to end with one last scripture. And I pray this encourages you. I'm not going to speak on it, but I will end with this and then we will pray. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us as far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's pray. Avinu Makenu, our Father, our King, we come before you humble, Lord, and grateful that you've poured out your mercy on us through your Son, Messiah Yeshua. Lord, if any of us have lacked the confidence that you can use us, Lord, let us be faithful in the voice that you've shared and put in us, Lord. Lord, I pray that these messages that you've shared with us this morning through your word will be like seeds planted in our hearts, Lord. Lord, that you will water these seeds, Lord, that you will grow these seeds to produce fruit that's not only pleasing for you, but for our fellow, fellow brothers and sisters, Lord, and to the rest of the world. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat. And we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, 
www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H.org. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.